0: The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca.
1: We are a handful of downloads away from 10,000. Can you measure downloads in handfuls? Sure, why not? Thanks for making that happen. My name is Denny Grignell, your grateful and striving to be gracious host. Welcome to episode 48. Christopher Sweetman may have waited a few years to launch his first CD, But patience has been a virtue for the Lindsay Musician, whom you'll hear from. The Kawartha Lakes Police Service is recruiting, Inspector Kirk Robertson tells us how that process has evolved since he joined the service about 20 years ago. We get an update on Kobe's Wellness Centre, spoiler alert, one million dollars. Also my conversation with what you think is an inanimate object, but come on, theatre of the mind, theatre of the mind people. So grab your seat, cell phone's off, the curtain's almost drawn, lights are coming down. Now enjoy the show. This is The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. There are some things that lockdowns and shortages and rising food costs will not affect. Like building a good old-fashioned backyard rink. Stephanie Lang lives in Kirkfield and is a realtor with the Affinity Group. When she's not busy showing homes in Kawartha Lakes to prospective buyers, she's on her backyard rink, sometimes enjoying it, probably a lot of time hosing it down and maintaining it. It's a very special rink that she and her fella Aaron and her dad Mike, also a realtor, recently built. But hang on, did I say this rink was on Stephanie's backyard? Not exactly. Stephanie joins me on the line now from that special rink. Hi, Stephanie.
2: How are you doing, Jenny? Nice to be here.
1: Tell us about uh, about the rink. Where is it located? Because I don't think it's on your backyard, right?
2: Well, not quite. We're just over on Balsam. So in a way, when the lake freezes over in the winter, we just get a really extra big backyard.
1: I can hear some skating in the background now. So describe to me what I would see if I were standing next to you and spinning in a circle.
2: Well, you'd see a lot of snow and then you'd see pretty much jet black ice where we've scraped it and flooded it pretty much weekly. Uh, You'd see a couple road hockey rinks and then one with a little bit of the netting around it. So if you want to practice some shooting, you can do that too. Okay. And you probably see a lot of pucks buried just outside of the <laughs> where it's been shoveled.
1: <laughs> Harkens back to my youth. Okay, I, I can understand if it's a backyard rink on the lake where you're just scraping it off. I think we've all done that. But I I heard you say that you're actually watering it like you would a regular rink. So, so tell me how that works.
2: Well, so we've probably done a rink every year for as long as I can remember. But... Uh, in the last 2 years, I'm sure you've had a bit more time on your hands as we have.
1: <laughs> I wonder so why. So,
2: we were trying Yeah. So, we were trying to figure out a way to, you know, fix the cracks as they came up and keep it a little bit smoother if it gets snowed on. So, what we devised was it's just a hose system. So, we hook it up to an outside tap. You run the hoses, you connect it to what is essentially a little homemade Zamboni. So, it's PVC piping and you've got a T that goes down to more piping at 45, and then you bring it across. And then we've hooked up uh, just an old bath towel, and that just smooths out the rink. <laughs> How far
1: are you from the house that you're dragging this hose all the way out onto the lake?
2: It's three hoses, <laughs> full disclosure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah,
2: so it's about, it's about 100 feet. It's pretty well worth the time when you're skating on it as regularly as we are.
1: Okay, well tell me about it being well worth the time as opposed to just doing a backyard ring why did you not just go with you know scraping down a part of your backyard and you wouldn't have to use three hoses then
2: well i mean it's just the quality of the ice and if you have a lot of time and you're you're sharing it with the neighbors and you have a team of people that will help shovel it with you i mean maybe it's not as much time as if it is you just did it yourself but we've got pretty decent teamwork going on um we also have the benefit of being here year round. So it's not like if you're a weekend warrior and you leave for the week and you come up and you're rink shot because you weren't there all week. We have the advantage of, you know, if it snows on a Tuesday, we're here right away. You shovel it off, you give it a hose, and then, you know, the ice is good again until the next snowfall.
1: Okay, you said we. So you've got neighbors, as you mentioned. Have you devised any kind of schedule? as to who goes out when, because you're out in the open there, and it's it's yep. it's going to be windy, and we've had some pretty cold weather. Or are you drawing straws, as it were, to see who goes out to scrape it off?
2: No, you know what? If you have the time, we just kind of put the call out to a couple neighbours saying, listen, we're going out now. If you're available, come join us. If not, we kind of catch them next time. So there's no sense in scheduling anything, because you can't really schedule it like you can like you can't schedule the weather Mm -hmm. so it's just it's all hands on deck if you got them and you know you got to be out there when the snow flies
1: how does this experience compare to if it were a rink on your backyard
2: uh i've never had one in my backyard to be honest so i mean the advantage you have living on the lake and getting if you're able to do this is you kind of get to make it to size so we get to make it a little bit bigger than what your standard backyard rink would allow.
1: How does this compare to your memories as a kid growing up skating, Stephanie?
2: <laughs> uh, I don't remember it being as much work. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure when you're a kid, it's not, right? The work was still done. I just didn't do any of it. <laughs> no, it's it's really not that different. I mean, it's it's fun to do the work now and get to see some of the neighborhood kids get to use it as well. And they're going to have the same memories that I had. Hmm. Which is pretty sweet.
1: Hey, well, t- take me there. When you're uh, looking out your your window of, of your home on a cold morning, and you see kids there in tuxes and mittens, uh, flailing all over the place, and they're skating. Yeah. What's What's that like for you to to see that?
2: Oh, it's just fun. Like I, it's kind of funny because I'm not really that good a skater. So to put all this effort in, I mean, you know, you wouldn't think it's worth it. But you see kids if they're playing hockey and they're enrolled in any sort of skating. Like, they're good skaters, and you get to see them ripping around. It's so much fun. Like, they're bold and brave, and they're not afraid to fall. It's just, (laughs) it's kind of hilarious.
1: (laughs) What's it like when you've spent an entire day doing showings, and you come home, and it's maybe dark, and you're on the ice?
2: You know what? It's not that different than coming home in the summer, and you get to sit out on the dock, and it's warm. I mean, it's just... It reaffirms that the choice you made to live here and to work here, regardless of if you're running around or if you're, you know, have a leisurely day, it just reaffirms that it's a good choice because of all the things you get to do to come home and if the fire's still going and it's dark and people are out skating and the floodlights are on. So, you know, it's it's a nice feeling. My name is Stephanie Lang from Kirkfield, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from North awakes Lakes.
1: So much about policing has changed in recent years. Everything from how the law is enforced, the training the job requires, to more culturally diverse staffing, but also how the recruits are recruited. I'm Sure, I'm not the only person who assumed it was largely just an internal process where police services spoke to each other and kept an eye on graduates of law and security post-secondary courses. But police services are casting that net much wider now, using, among other things, the net, as in the internet. The likes police service is no different. It is currently advertising in very public forums to fill a number of positions. Inspector Kirk Robertson has been with the KLPS for almost 20 years. He is the lead on finding these new hires, and he joins me now. Inspector, how does today's recruitment process compare to that of previous years?
0: It's certainly different than from when I got hired 20 years ago, I can tell you that. With the internet now, you can reach out to people all over the world with a few ads through all of our social media platforms, and we encourage any of our officers who are on social media to, you know, retweet or repost, whatever the case is, and we also... uh, have started using platforms classified platforms like indeed or those types of job posting platforms and that's where we we seem to get the our most traction
1: really because i i I would have thought in the old days you just had a stack of resumes on somebody's desk of all these you know police college graduates and you just pulled one so is it fair to say that that's it's changed or
0: it used to be that way we used to get i know even in the early my early time in this position you know, once or twice a month, I'd get a phone call or an email or someone just dropping in saying, I know you're not hiring, but if you are, can I leave my resume? I, I don't know how to explain it, but that just doesn't seem to be the case over the last you know, year 18 months. I guess during COVID, it's uh, those emails and phone calls. of. I wouldn't say they've com- completely shut off, but they've certainly gone to a trickle. Well, we're casting the net because we're not getting the unsolicited. So you can almost count on, you know, April, May into June when the the colleges and the universities uh, finish their programs and the graduates come out and they would, I used to get the emails or the drop-offs from the fresh out of community college people, but even those, I'm just not seeing those as frequently as I was even just two years ago. We all seem to be in similar situations and I don't think it's for lack of uh, those attending the pro- like the police foundations or law and security programs at the college. Uh, I don't know whether it's just if there's been a generational change and they're waiting to see the uh, job postings come out first. I, I don't really know how to explain it, but mm-hmm. it's not something that's localized just to us here in Kortha Lake across the province when I talk to my colleagues.
1: And I want to talk to you a bit about that because you are competing essentially for recruits with other communities. What do you think the biggest change has been in the actual process of selecting the candidates like what what boxes are you looking to check off now during that process that may not, they may, you may not have even seen those boxes 20 years ago, let's say.
0: Yeah. It, the, the process has certainly changed. They used to have a centralized testing uh, company that did all the testing across the province and they would, you know, they would break a traveling roadshow almost. They'd be in different areas and they'd set up and they'd do written testing and physical testing. That's changed now we're certainly looking for people who can bring we, we want to know what they can bring to us is it another language is it life experience have they have they worked in different settings you know or volunteered in different settings uh just for example like in social work or uh have they worked in hospitals doing security like we want to see what they can bring to us I'm glad that
1: you brought up one of the boxes you're looking to check is what, a, what other languages can they bring? Because, you know, I know you grew up here as well and, and Lindsay has yep. traditionally been a somewhat homogenous community. It is it is evolving in terms of its diversity. So how big a box is that when you're checking them, the, the idea of uh, choosing candidates from different cultural backgrounds than that homogenous nature that, that we're familiar with? Yeah,
0: I, I think it falls into one of the things we look at and certainly is is looked at as a positive for them, but we we kind of put everybody, when we look at an individual, we want to look at the total package. So we want to, you know, see that they've maybe been in positions where they've been put under some stress or been forced to make a decision or, you know, sometimes we will ask them during the process, what are some of the a time you've had to make a decision that's unpopular with people and how did you deal with that? How did you feel about it to get their reaction? Because Unfortunately, or in our role, sometimes we have to make those decisions for people that are unpopular. This is not an easy field of work to get into from some of the things that we're exposed to that uh, thankfully the general population don't have to see. We kind of try and look at a whole package, and there's lots of little boxes that get checked off that make, uh, you know, put it into one big picture for us to say, okay, this is who we think is going to. Uh, to serve us the best and be able to serve our community the best.
1: Well, speaking of the community, and we mentioned how it's evolving. So, how, how big a box is that that you would like to see more diversity uh, in, in terms of you know people of color, gender, all that stuff?
0: Yeah, and it, it certainly uh, our community has changed as I've been here for uh, my entire life, and as you said, it was a very homogenous community. But the, we are uh, it is changing, which and we're becoming more diverse. And uh, we certainly want to represent all aspects or all areas of our community and all the members of our community. One of the things uh, that we don't see, and I don't know if it's because of how our community has been historically, we haven't had a lot of applications from uh, members of the diverse communities. So I know in the last application process, i have to think if there was more than two. I don't know how we reach out to those community those community members, and or people from those different cultures, and say you know come to Lindsay and work.
1: Well, maybe that's what we're doing right now on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, another way. This is another way for us to uh, to reach out to to reach a different audience. So we've got some. Uh, we're expanding a couple of our uh, our areas. To our community response unit is expanding to offer. Uh, some more dedicated mental health uh, services, an officer paired with uh, a mental health practitioner, as well as uh, we have someone, an officer is gonna be paired with a forecast worker or an addictions, an addictions worker, so they can uh, help people in our community who are suffering from that. So by hiring an experienced officer, we get them on hired and on the ground running on their own, where the recruit officer, they get hired uh, hopefully by this, in uh i think it's in may is the intake they would go to the ontario police college they spend three months there and then after they come back they're three months with a coach officer and providing training goes well then they'd be out on their own
1: it's a bit like building your hockey team you know you want your veterans who are maybe higher priced but you want your rookies who are going to replace the veterans at some point
0: that's a great analogy for they're going to take over when the vets are ready to uh, move on to other things
1: oh i can always find an analogy uh, with hockey trust me (laughs) The psychological training, which you've, you've mentioned in your, uh, in your recruitment posting, that, that there will be some psychological testing. What can you tell me about how that has changed?
0: So the actual testing itself hasn't changed a great deal as far as to get your qualifications to apply to be a police officer. But certainly once the people are hired, we're doing what we can to increase our resiliency training, the road to mental readiness training for all of our officers. And encouraging them to, if they have other opportunities that they find on their own, to take advantage of those as well. You know, 20 years ago, you know, the analogy just push it all down, bottle it up, and t- keep it to yourself. Not anymore. We're encouraging everyone to talk when there's something goes on, and we sometimes approach them and, and not make them talk, but ask them, how are you doing? Like, are you okay? Should you talk to somebody? Can we set you up with one of our peer counsel, peer support people, or does it need to be something more formal? That certainly has changed over the years. Change isn't always easy, but we're, we're getting to some of them. But if we can instill, especially in our new recruits, that it's okay to do all those things, and it's just a normal part of you go to the doctor once a year, you go to the dentist once a year, maybe you should see your therapist or your counselor once a year just to check in and make sure everything's good. That uh, is something that we're really pushing, and that has certainly changed. One of the big changes in the psychological component uh, since uh, in the last 20 years since I've been doing this job.
1: Kirk Robertson is an inspector with the Kawartha Lakes Police Service. You can learn more about the positions the KLPS is looking to fill by going to klps.ca and in the About drop-down menu, link to Recruitment.
3: My name is Maria Francis from Wards Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of The Advocate podcast, Stories from Kwaratha Lakes.
1: Hey, I just checked the numbers and we are still 100% local media and part of The Advocate online and, of course, The Advocate magazine. Our publisher is this guy, Roderick Benz. The February issue of The Advocate is our second annual union edition. With a bold cover and an insightful feature analysis by our own Kirk Winter, we look at how unions are aiming to reclaim lost ground. Our opinion page draws in expert opinion from Professor Dennis Raphael from York University on how the healthiest nations are the ones with the greatest union strength. As always, the advocate aimed for a broad range of stories. Contributing editor Trevor Hutchinson examines a Canadian healthcare system in crisis. And that was before COVID-19. That's all in the February Advocate, available now across Kawartha Lakes, including at Kent Place Mall in Lindsay and Country Cupboard in Fenland Falls. And you can find us, The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe for free. That way the episodes just magically appear in your device and are ready for listening. And each download ensures we will be around for many years to come. So please like our Facebook page and share the links with your friends. Coming up, an update on a story we brought you last summer about how an ambitious project to transform a former train station into a hub of wellness is coming together. Oh, my. So,
3: you can see here, this is the big door that would open and close to accept baggage. lily stove, there's, a, there's an old sleigh up here, and some other... Um, some a uh, big wagon lots of other artifacts from through the years. I don't think that will be actually in the 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 examining room because of course there's a lot of parameters there from Ministry of Health and and other other guidelines that That's
1: know, Jennifer so sure Wilson about. last summer touring me through Kobe's decommissioned train station just behind the ball diamonds. You can listen to that entire interview in episode 36. It's it's really a neat tour. Jennifer is the general manager of the Kobukonk, Norland, and Area Chamber of Commerce, and one of the people spearheading an ambitious project to transform that old train station, into a wellness center. It's, it's kind of a medical hub of sorts of doctors and dentists and mental health practitioners, as well as some community space. They're hoping to have the local food bank in there. Now, at the time of that tour, it was equally ambitious to imagine the transformation becoming a reality. Well, ambitious for people not named Jennifer Wilson. And for good reason. She and the rest of her team recently reached a fundraising milestone of $1 million. Jennifer Wilson joins me now. Hey Jennifer, thanks so much for making the time for us again.
3: Thanks very much for having us.
1: Okay, when you started this project, I'm sure you had projections and timelines all spread out on on sheets. When did you initially think you'd hit that one million dollar mark?
3: That's a great question, Denise. and it's something we put a lot of thought into, and we didn't really have a lot of answers. Um, It was something that uh that amount of money was something that hadn't really been attempted uh in the communities that we were aware of for quite some time if ever and uh, we we felt the engagement of the community for the concept right from the beginning and so we thought we would give it a shot and it may take a few years but we would we felt like we would get there hmm. and imagine our astonishment and uh gratitude and um enthusiasm when we reach reached that $1 million mark uh, in less than one year.
1: So what does that milestone represent in terms of getting funding from the other sources of revenue that you're going to need, you know, be it government or or corporate or or private um, donations and contributions?
3: Right. So the $1 million is really, I think, a signal to the rest of the world. So to the other levels of government to understand that this community, although they have said in the past they need it, this is they've taken action. They are walking the walk. They are saying this is needed in our community and we're willing to invest in making it happen. The municipality has been uh, extremely supportive. We couldn't ask for more from the municipality as a partner. And um, and now we hope that the, um, the federal and provincial governments will join us as well in this project. We will start to see in the spring, uh, soil start to move. The site will begin to change to um, to allow for the building to start construction later in the year, and uh, and we'll go from there. But I think that people will be excited to see some progress being made physically on the site.
1: The project itself, if I've got my number right here, it's you're looking at about an eleven million dollar overall project.
3: Yes, that's right.
1: Okay, so um, how how close? Are you? You're still. I don't want to uh, downplay the one million dollar milestone, but that still represents less than ten percent. So, how close are you to, to reaching that that eleven million dollar mark when you can actually hang up a shingle on top of the the door saying Summit Wellness Center?
3: I would love to be able to tell you that in more definitive terms right now, Denis, but uh, we do have some irons in the fire that are ho- we hope to uh, to have confirmed in the next couple of months that we'll be able to, then I'll be able to answer that question more clearly for you. But we could be fairly close um, uh, should some of these come to fruition.
1: How much more do you have to go to the individuals in Kong who've really stepped up? I mean, I, I understand you have more than 1,000 people who've really stepped up. How often can you keep coming back to that to the members of the community and saying, you know, we just need a bit more.
3: We don't want to do that at all. The um and it's not I just want to say it's not just Cobacon, but Norland and Kirkfield and Woodville and Burnt River and Rosedale, um, this and and support throughout the Kawartha Lakes and outside of the Kawartha Lakes as well. So all of those supporters have come together. Um, we don't want to say to them, um, you know, can we do a little bit more? There will be still some fundraising happening. As you said, it's $11 million project. And so we will gratefully accept donations as they continue to come in. But uh, it is not our wish to go back or plan to go back to the community to, to, uh, you know, for them to bear any more responsibility in bringing this project forward. They, we will greatly, as I said, we'll gratefully receive the donations as people are still interested in supporting, you know, so many have through the jump in the lake challenge and the camping fundraiser we did and um, the spike it up to light it up. And by the way, the jump in the lake challenge is planned this year for May 7th. Uh, And uh, the volunteers organizing that are hoping to raise $100,000 for the Wellness Center this year. So more will continue to happen, but that will be because the community wants to do it rather than um, any kind of uh, pushing coming from outside sources. The part of it that has blown us away from the beginning is that everybody wants or not everybody but many many people want to be involved they they want to have some fun with it they want to participate they want to be part of making it happen the um, comments on Facebook as we have announced our one million dollars have been so so positive and people cheering everybody else on as they go and that's it's just such a unique and wonderful feeling of coming together
1: what would you like this conversation to sound like one year from now Jennifer (laughs)
3: I would I would love to uh, one year from now let's let's say one uh, let's say a year and a half to two years from now I'd love to be touring you around the new building Denise just like we did with the old historic train station last summer wouldn't it be wonderful to tour around through there and I can point out all of the historical exhibits and the parts of the train station that have been have been preserved and the unique places within the new portion of the wellness center that are accessible and inclusive and sustainable and beautiful.
1: You've already imagined this in your head, I can tell.
3: A million times.
1: <laughs> Jennifer Wilson is the general manager of the Kobukonk Norland and Area Chamber of Commerce and part of the team creating the Summit Wellness Center. You've probably seen those semi-sparse shelves at your local grocery store. No need to panic. You can read in, you know, legitimate media with real journalists why this is a blip that will be corrected in due course. The Advocate magazine's Will McGinn also covered this story locally, which you can read by going to lindsayadvocate.ca. Now, I know I'm breathing easy. In fact, I can say I am most certainly not experiencing a shortage of fruit in our home, To further elaborate on this, I am joined now by a banana from our kitchen. Hey, banana, thanks for coming on the program.
2: My pleasure, Denny. It's nice to be acknowledged for a change.
1: What do you mean by that?
2: Face it, you barely even notice me, let alone speak to me, ever. One could say that you even ignore me.
1: I don't think that's true. In fact, remember last week when I yelled out to Nancy, hey, do you think these black bananas are okay for making banana bread?
2: My point exactly. For the past two years, you have transformed me into bread 74 times. I have been keeping count. Conversely, You have peeled and eaten me only six times.
1: Okay, okay, I get it. I should be eating more fruit, like bananas. Look, sometimes uh, I just get busy, and and, and I get preoccupied, and I forget to eat, and... Hang on, I have another call coming in. Hello?
2: Bonjour, Denis. It is your good friend, Doritos. Why is it that I have not heard from you today? It has been more than 24 hours since we last got together. Mm.
1: Well, mm. sorry about that, Doritos. I guess we got some catching up to do. Mm. Nacho flavored. Good.
4: Can I do one more? Yeah, absolutely. The rich baritone radio voice you hear now belongs to Mark Doble from Lindsay, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast stories from Kawartha Lakes. Okay, man, that's way better, thanks. I uh, well, whatever.
1: At the beginning of the program, I mentioned that we are literally a small handful of streams away from 10,000. And each and every one of those is thanks to our official and exclusive sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. They offer a wide array of legal services, so they've got you covered. If you're looking for a lawyer, may I suggest you start there at wardlegal.ca. It's the right move. You're listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Hey, here's the cool thing about art, any kind of art. You can create it at any age, at any time, really. There's no rule. Christopher Sweetman has been creating his art as a Lindsay musician and singer-songwriter for decades, but it wasn't until very recently that he released his very first CD, Signal and Noise, which was produced by Jeff Gutteridge of Looking for Heather. Not a delay, really. It's more of a wait for the ideal time kind of thing. Well, Christopher made the time for me to discuss his music and his new CD and how his wife Tracy factored largely into making this dream real. I am a You mentioned that you'd had the idea to put out the album for for quite some time, and uh, given that it's so much easier to do it now because of the technology that we have than than you yeah. and I might have had when we were in our twenties, I'm I'm just wondering mm. what what held you back from from making that leap.
4: Well, uh, it was really a, I guess a lack of material. Uh, you know, a few years back, uh, I uh, I joined this band with a bunch of friends that I had and uh, and have. <laughs> But uh, we were, uh, you know, focused on original songs. And, um, and so uh, that uh, sort of got me hyped to uh, start writing and, and, uh, and getting some songs together. But in the end, uh, it, it, you know, it didn't work out where we had uh, released uh, those songs. So I still had all these songs. Uh, available to me and and uh, and that's you know where the kind of the joke came in with my wife I said you know I've got all these songs here you know we should we should you know release them um and uh, and she was incredibly uh, supportive of that and, and really it was if it weren't for her pushing me to do it I probably never would have it's only money anyway walk
1: away. Well, I know she figures into one of your instrumental pieces, her namesake, Tracy, being the name of the yes. song. But Let me ask you, how, how does she uh, figure into not just your music, but your life being a musician? Because you're, you, you often acknowledge her.
4: Yeah. Um, it's just because she, um, she always, um, encourages me to, uh, to make music and, uh, and to write. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, you know, grateful for that. And, uh, and I, I want to be, uh, inclusive, like, uh, sort of like the, uh, are you familiar with, uh, the ram album by mccartney
1: of course i mean it's so, my era yeah. i was a huge beatles guy yes this little band called the beatles
4: yes of course <laughs> yeah. so yeah so he sort of included linda on that which i thought was really awesome i wanted to do something sort of similar of course you know son's the genius behind it but uh <laughs> i definitely wanted to be inclusive and uh and you know um she came in um, and uh, did some backup vocals which was great on golden age give it a sort of a pixie-esque flavor if you will yeah no she she's really great that way um so that was the song uh that really was the the beginning for for my um, collection of songs because uh when when we got together um Way back in 1999, I had decided to write this song, and uh, and she was there for it, and she'd always uh, liked it uh, a lot, and so she thought that that should be sort of the, the beginning. We should start with that song and just add in as many songs as we could after that.
1: You weren't sure that the album would ever come to
4: fruition. Why did you think that? Um, it, it just seemed like, uh, something that, um, you know, I, I, I just never thought would, um, as much as I wanted it to, it just seemed like, uh, it was this, um, this thing that just wasn't attainable for me. Why is that? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe, uh, just. You know, sometimes I uh, I can be my own worst enemy in terms of uh, ambition and things like that. But, um, and and that's w- really where uh, where I needed uh, the encouragement from Tracy and and you know pushing me through to that. But, um, yeah, it just it it seemed like something that was just sort of a more of a a dream than a reality, I guess
5: in the city for you my lady don't take long give up that dull vibe around you and turn your sunshine on like you used to do
1: in the gold you had the experience of, of a couple of decades as a musician, and with that comes the autonomy of being able to call your own shots. And mm-hmm. and now you find yourself in a studio working with a producer like Jeff, and yeah. uh, you have to relinquish some of that some of that autonomy, some of that control. So, what was that like?
4: Oh, honestly, it was no problem at all. I, I was happy to let him take the reins and uh, and just go for it. And and I and uh, you know I I don't really uh, as much as I I write songs and play music. I don't really consider myself to be uh, a musician per se or a musician's musician. I I know enough uh, just enough to get my point across. So where Jeff came in was to to take that idea and uh and just run with it and say here's here's the result of that. And uh most of the time it was thumbs thumbs up. Uh other times it was um, you know, maybe maybe let's change that guitar solo a little. But that was very rare, and uh, I was really happy to uh, to have him take control and, and and put everything together like that, just amazingly. Tell me,
1: how does the the Christopher at age fifty two compare to maybe the Christopher in his twenties, especially when it comes to putting oh. out? your first album like this, oh, the pressure yeah. and the stakes. How do you think you know you would have reacted then versus how you reacted now if you draw those those two Christophers from decades uh, apart?
4: That's a really good question. Uh, back in my 20s, I, I liked uh, to write a lot. Uh, I thought that I was gonna uh, maybe end up being a writer. I guess what what's come out now is is uh, is s- something a lot more obviously mature um that i'd put out uh, musically um i i don't think it would have been uh it would have been further from possible back in my 20s it just wasn't something that i was interested in doing i wanted always to be close to music i'd uh uh, maybe uh try to uh, write lyrics um back in those days for for um people or um even uh even interview them um uh, there was no podcast back then, but uh, I wanted to uh, to get close to uh, uh, to music in any way I could. But I I think that um, that I'm glad I did it now instead of then because, uh, as I say, it's just a more uh, mature <laughs> sort of product that we have. The stakes are you know lower, I guess, because. Um, I don't have any sort of pressure on me to, you know, to succeed as a, I mean, that's not the purpose of this album is to, um, to, you know, become uh, a popular musician or anything. It's just something that I, I wanted to do and, and get out there and, and hope to do again. On a green grass hill under
5: August blue You and I are just brand new With a twister on a kite string On our mark with so much to say We will reflect back on this day With a long gone song
1: You've had some time now after the release of this CD. When, When you listen to that CD, uh, what do you see? What do you feel?
4: I feel like it's uh, exactly what I wanted to do. And you know it's it was uh, three years uh, from the time that that I sat down with jeff and and uh, and sort of discussed the idea of putting this out until it was released. And in that time, I had enjoyed listening to it, as I say, but never th- but was nervous about putting it out. You know, it's not exactly um, the pop album of the year kind of thing, you know. But now that it's out, I'm, I'm happy it's out and I'm pleased with the results. And uh, I think it's great. Yeah, I have no complaints there at all. <laughs> the deputy rides again
5: That song's not over yet The deputy rides again has absolutely no regret The time for talk is over You don't want to get too old or die too soon See that mother's in it to win it, baby old contender at his own high noon the glory a gimmick maybe the time for talk is over Deputy rides again That song's not over yet. Oh the deputy rides again has absolutely no regret the time for talk is over.
4: Hi, I'm Christopher Sweetman from Lindsay, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from the Lakes.
1: That's my favorite song from Christopher Sweetman's debut album, That is The Deputy Rides Again, Off Signal and Noise. You can also hear Jeff Gutteridge's influence there via his his really nice work as producer of that record. You can find Christopher's music at christophersweetman.hearnow.com. You can find our official sponsor at wardlegal.ca. For all your legal needs, the team of lawyers at Wards has you covered. They had me covered when I needed someone with expertise to go through a contract. Gerald Van Halteren had us covered when it came to writing and performing our theme and musical bridges. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denis Grignan. Please tell your friends about us and share, share, share. And stay safe, 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 and patient. We're almost there. Talk to you in two weeks.
4: Yeah, no, she she's really great that way. She's uh, she's out there listening to me now, and hope hope I say the right things.